God is a great healer. He has a plan for Lawrence, and uh, we continue to uh, just walk through this time with him as well. Yesterday afternoon, uh, Lawrence gave me a call around noon, and uh, you know, it's one of those calls, oh, Lawrence, how are you? And he's like, well, you know, I'm calling you, so I'm not feeling the best. Um, but, uh, you know, if, 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 you could, uh, if you could speak, that would, uh, that would be great. I was in Duluth at like a wood fire pizza place with Austin. We were going down there to pick up uh, uh, some materials for one of his DIY projects. And when I saw the, the phone and the caller ID, I was like, oh, I know what this is about. This will be good and fine. Uh, and I, no longer had I hung up the phone with, uh, with Pastor Lawrence that uh, Jim Underhill called me. And you guys know I, I do what I like to call, I call it substitute preaching <laughs> from time to time, pulpit supply. Uh, and I mean that with utmost respect uh, to God's word and the opportunity to be able to, uh, to share God's word with others. Uh, but I do from time to time speak at uh, Jim Underhill's church at the uh, Covenant Church here in Bowabic. So when, uh, when the phone rang and I see Jim Underhill, I did what, uh, what any good Christian man would do. I freaked out just a little bit. <laughs> and I let it go to voicemail. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to need a little time to be able to respond to this one. Like, what did you do, Nathan? Did you double book yourself? Did you promise to Jim that you were going to be speaking tomorrow? And he's calling to ask you, like, hey, are you ready? What's your theme? Blah, blah, blah. So then, uh, you know, I did listen to the voicemail right away. And uh, he was letting me know that he wasn't feeling uh, good as well. And um, I told him we'd get that, that message out. Um, but God is, uh, God is sure good. To us, uh, there's the uh, the thought of uh, what I'm going to call the sugar stick. I learned this from my grandfather, who uh, grew up in the ministry. He was a uh, missionary during the Great Depression and the years after that. Went to um, started out in Dallas and then went to Central America and all of that area down there: Panama, Costa Rica, Honduras, Guatemala. He started, uh, was one of the folks that was instrumental in starting the um, Nicaraguan Bible Institute, which is still going today. Uh, and he told me the story uh, of when he and my grandma, Fletty, got married. So picture a, a little country church, probably one room uh, next to the cotton fields somewhere on the outskirts of Dallas. And uh, finally, my grandpa and my grandma, the Lord had brought them together, and uh, they had a very simple wedding uh, at a little country church. I don't think there was all of the excessive planning that we do today, but they were happy to join together in the Lord to continue in the ministry together. Um, And the nature of uh, preachers back in the day, so uh, on a Saturday afternoon, uh, the, the pastor, you know, the, their friends and family came together and he uh, joined them in holy matrimony. And during the coffee ann or whatever it was that they had afterwards, I don't know if they actually had a meal or a reception, but they had to have something, right, whether it was a meal or not. But anyway, the pastor talked to my grandfather, Carl Etheridge, and he was like, 
would you like to give the message tomorrow? <laughs> and my grandfather said yes. And, and the pastor's comment to him was like, you know, can you, bring, can you bring your sugar stick tomorrow? And what he meant by that is uh, it was back in the days where people had sugar cane. They, they grew sugar cane. And the, the kids during the Great Depression, you know, you could go and buy a, a stock of sugar cane for a penny. Uh, and if you've never had sugar cane before, I've done this as a kid. I was born a little after the Great Depression, but um, you know, you, you peel the hard bark off of the sugar cane, and then you can chew on the inside portions of it, and it's sweet. So when uh, the pastor said, do you have a sugar stick that you could bring, uh, bring for a message tomorrow? He meant, like, you know, surely you have something that, uh, that you've been working on that is, uh, that is something you think about a lot, that you non. Uh, and it would be easy for you to, uh, to come uh, tomorrow and, and speak. And so my, my grandfather said yes. And then as he's telling me the story, he goes, that was a mistake. <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know what exactly I preached on. Uh, and I think that the pastor also felt like he probably made a mistake in asking him at the same time. Hopefully this won't be that experience today. Um, but I thought I would start out with um, what, what would be something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, in the last, I guess I'm going to say almost a year, where is, is Mary and Bob here? I'm not sure if they're here. But we've been uh, studying during our Wednesday Bible study time. We've been going through the book of um, Galatians, talking about the gospel. Uh, and the importance of the gospel and the gospel of uh, salvation by faith, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So it's really been a time that we have uh, focused on uh, the gospel. And then here this last quarter, we've been focusing on the results of the gospel in our life. The fact that uh, God transforms our lives and what's the process of growing in godliness. And some of the uh, repercussions and the importance of that as well. So we'll start out with uh, just a little bit of a thought of how the Lord has worked in my life. Uh, many of you maybe know that I, uh, so my grandparents were missionaries. My mom and dad uh, met uh, through fellow Bible college friends. And um, they got married and they went to the mission field. Uh, my mom and dad, dad's with the Lord now, but uh, they've been in ministry for 60 years. I don't know how you get 60 years in, but um, old preachers never die. They just go to be with the Lord, Marlon. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's my dad. And um, my mom is still very active in uh, the ministry in uh, South Texas, where she is now in her mid-80s. But uh, having parents and grandparents, my uncle was a missionary as well. I heard the gospel message from the time I can remember remembering things. You know, from the time I can remember stuff, it had to do with going to church and listening to my dad speak, listening to other people speak. Um, you know, evangelism was a great part of what we did. And so um, it's no surprise that uh, when I was in about the second grade, we were in our uh, little house in uh, Guadalajara, Mexico, me and my three sisters. 
And uh, one of the things that we played fairly often was, you know, crusade. <laughs> so we had, we had the church, you know, we had the, the chair set up, and, and one of my sisters was the uh, evangelist, and I came forward. But, you know, that whole process, like, I remember, and I, I, can, I can tell you that, that there was a spark. Like, you know, when they were like, well, have you, uh, have you prayed the prayer? And I'm like, well, what's that? And I was like, well, I don't know. And so, you know, they were like, well, you need to say, you know, Jesus, um, forgive me for my sins and, and come into my heart. So I did that. And, and you know, the, the process of doing that was, was very interesting to me because I look back and I could tell that the Lord was at work. There was, the Holy Spirit was using that little game in my life. Um, we got to the fourth grade and I moved to, uh, we moved back to the United States. My first impression of uh, the United States as a kid, literally, because I grew up in Mexico, was the fourth grade in public school in Reeves, Louisiana. And that was very interesting. But one of the questions that uh, I don't know that I'd ever been asked that in a way which I remembered before, but it was a very serious question. As fourth graders, the teacher went around and said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, I'm a little bit of an anxious kid. Like, I didn't have a, uh, a good answer for that. So there was, it was coming around, you know, the classroom, and it was getting to me. And I was, the only thing I could think of at the time was, I want to be a preacher like my dad. And that's what came out of my mouth, and everybody looked at me weird. Like, what is going on with this kid? He wants to be a preacher like his dad. Anyway, uh, fifth grade, we made it down to South Texas, where I spent the rest of my grade school, high school years. And I can tell you that um, there was a host of godly people, men and women, that had influence in my life in bringing me to Christ. Um, Sunday school teachers, my mom, my dad, uh, other missionaries who uh, were speaking and teaching in our church, bringing God's word, clearly teaching about the gospel and all of uh, its facets and the importance in our lives. Um, I can go back as I think, and all of those people had a significant role in influencing my life for Jesus Christ. Um, I was learning and growing in my understanding of the gospel message. And if you know my dad, like you probably know me as well, on his uh, gravestone is written uh, Acts 26, 18. You know, like we as kids were like, well, what are we going to put on his gravestone? Uh, you know, we, we thought of, you know, I like to speak a lot, so... There's lots of words, and it was like, well, it can only be like this many characters. And so we put that, that Bible verse down, which is uh, really the calling of the Apostle Paul uh, to the ministry of bringing the Gentiles the gospel of Christ. In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, you know, the, the crux of what he was to do when he went to the Gentiles was to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So through this process of my life, from when I can remember in the second grade through uh, the, the, my high school years, I think I was about 16, uh, 
when finally my eyes became fully open to my need for Christ, I knew and I had realized who Jesus Christ was, what he had done for me, what the significance was of him coming to this earth to take on humanity, being fully God, where he could be the sacrifice, the holy, acceptable sacrifice to God the Father for my sins. I realized at that point that God and Jesus just didn't die for the sins of the world, but he died for my sins. That made a difference in my life at that point. And uh, on a night, I think I was in a, uh, so I don't know why this is significant, maybe you guys would understand, but I was in a 1981 Toyota pickup truck on the way home from youth group when the Lord and I had a conversation and I turned my life to him, realizing who he was and my need for him, turning from darkness to light and receiving his forgiveness. Um for my sins, and a place. I now belonged to him. So God worked in my life throughout my childhood. And as I've looked at my testimony through the years, um, I can honestly say in my mind, it wasn't until I was 16 that the gospel message really made it from my head to my heart. And uh, I came to know him as my personal savior. Some people might say, well, Nathan, you could say that maybe you were saved when you were in the second grade. And it's like, my response to that is, God knows when I became his child. I'm just really glad I'm his child now. Uh, but the main thing is, I was reflecting on what I wanted to share today. The main thing in my testimony was this. It wasn't until I was 16 years old in that little Toyota pickup truck that I stopped worrying about whether or not I was a Christian and started being concerned with what it means to be a Christian. Like God had transformed my life. In that moment, I wasn't worried about where am I at with Jesus. I had a place. And I was concerned about having this transformed life and being a fully devoted follower of Christ. And that is how I've walked since that time. And uh, God has given me a place. You know the, uh, the, the verse is very familiar to you as well in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that anyone can boast. And then there's verse 10. For we are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And it was at that age when God finally took everything from head knowledge to heart knowledge and application in my life that uh, he saved me and I started worrying about those things. Like, hey, I'm a son. I have chores to do. I understood chores because I grew up on a farm. Uh, my dad had plenty of chores for me to do. But we didn't just take people off the street to do chores. It was my responsibility. My sisters didn't even do chores. I did all the chores on the farm. They did plenty of other things. As you can tell, there is a bone of contention there. But I've been walking with the Lord ever since. So that's how the gospel came to Nathan Thompson. People told me the truth. Like I listened, I heard, I read, I got the gospel message. But the Holy Spirit was also at work in my life bringing myself to him. 
And then I also witnessed the difference that God made in the lives of others around me and how he had transformed their lives. And that also had an effect on me as I came to know the Lord as well. So this morning, I'd like to take a few moments uh, to expound a little bit more on that process. Like, how did the gospel come? How does the gospel come to me, to you, to those around us in our community, to the world? Uh, And there's uh, one of the verses that I go back to often in my life that has had a great impact on my ministry um, and my ability to, to, or privilege to be able to share God's word with others. And that's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. So we'll spend a little bit of time there. It wasn't too long ago that we spent some time as a church in our Sunday morning messages in uh, this passage here in uh, 1 Thessalonians. But I'd like to just stick to Paul's account of what happened as he brought the gospel to the now believers in Thessalonica. And Paul says, For our gospel did not come unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Some translations say, for you know what manner of men we were among you. Uh, that's what I titled the, uh, the sermon for this morning is, What Manner of Men? What manner of believers, what manner of brothers and sisters we were among you uh, for your sake. So the first thing that I notice when I come to this verse is, uh, is, you know, that first part. For our gospel did not come unto you in word. And then I get a big relief. Because if I'm sitting in your, in your seats, you're going to be like, Nathan's going to tell us that we have to tell people about the gospel. That's... That can be hard, that can be scary, that can be nerve-wracking. But the Bible says right there in black and white, the gospel did not come in word. I see Bruce got it. And word only. So, okay, take all that part back. You can feel squeamish and a little nervous now because Nathan's going to say, like, yes, if you know Jesus Christ and you are his child, you are commissioned, you are uh, commanded to take that gospel message to those around you. That's a very important thing. I am grateful for that as I look back on my Christian life and the, the, point, the points at which the gospel was shared with me as a child, it was very important that I got that word from godly people. Uh, so yes, The gospel does come to us by the, and if you're looking for an outline, um, I got three points in a poem. I do, Uh, and they're kind of alliterated. Not the poem, but the points are. The first way in which the gospel comes is through the proclaiming of the saints. So if you're a Christian person here today, you are a saint, and you are held responsible for proclaiming God's word for telling people about the gospel of 
Jesus Christ. Look with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Starting at verse 11. Romans chapter 10 verse 11 says, For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How do you know who the preacher is? Is it because he's wearing a tie this morning? I do that out of respect for my father and respect for, well, both of my fathers, let's put it that way, um, for what I'm doing here this morning. And my dad would, would, would not like it if I was preaching without a tie on. Uh, how are they here without a preacher? You all are proclaimers and held responsible. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news to uh, bring good news of good things. Verse 16, however, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17 says, for faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Uh, one of the things that I challenged our Bible study in uh, nearly a year ago as we were going through Galatians was this. If someone went and asked you right now, I want to be a Christian. What, what is it that I, you know, can you tell me? Are we ready? Uh, I, think, I think the answer would be that most of us here could be like, yes, I can tell, you know, because we've gone through the process. We've, we've gone through understanding and knowing the gospel and coming to know Jesus Christ. But that might be a great question for you on like, you know, have I ever just sat down with a piece of paper at my kitchen table and be like, this is what I would tell someone. If they're like, Nathan, what do I need to know to be saved? Um, because the gospel does come through us telling people about God's word. We're commanded to be ready to give an answer to the unbelieving world. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6 <clears throat> says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul was concerned about that gospel message and being able to speak it clearly. Verse 5 says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech be always with grace as though seasoned with salt, that you will know how you should respond to each person. What would you say? The gospel does come through your words, through you speaking God's words given to us in the scriptures. It's like that uh, child who's so excited when they get a gift, and they're like, oh, yes, I like this. And then they're like, what is it? 
Well, let me explain it to you. Because Jesus is that exciting, right? Um, you know, if you go, we won't turn there. It's the story, though, of uh, in Acts chapter 8, uh, Philip is taken by the Holy Spirit, and he lands on the road, and there is a uh, chariot, hopefully not right in front of him, but there's a chariot with an Ethiopian in it, and the Ethiopian is reading the book of Isaiah. That's kind of cool. And then Philip says to the Ethiopian, do you know what you're reading? And he's like, oh, it's so exciting. But I don't get it. And so Philip begins to explain to him what he's reading. And as a result, he comes to know the Lord Jesus and is baptized. But, uh, you know, so if you find yourself standing in the middle of the road and a car's coming at you, um, and they don't hit you, and then they're, they're all excited. Are you ready? Do you have those words? Have you thought about that? You know, uh, when you're talking about the gospel message, that's a life and death topic, is it not? We're talking about someone's eternal life or an eternity in the absence of uh, the presence of God in hell. It's a life or death. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have... Uh, uh, you know, my, my life is, I have an anxious personality that God has uh, taught me how to deal with and control throughout my life. So I'm not just a puddle on the floor all the time. Uh, or, you know, wringing my hands like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Um, I tell people that my management style is to think of the worst case scenario <laughs> and then manage myself back from there. So sometimes that's good, sometimes that's not so good. But when I'm thinking about uh, sharing the gospel message, that can be a little stressful. Like, what if I get it wrong? What if I don't get the words exactly right? Is, is the formula there? And Carol's like, Nathan, it's not about a formula. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? But, you know, I mean, there, there's still that, like, that could be a little scary. The next part of uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, and how does the gospel come, uh, is very comforting to me as a person who is charged with bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to others. How does the gospel come? Yes, it does come through the proclamation of the saints, so that's you and me talking, telling our friends. But two, it comes through the power of the Spirit of God comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul said, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Do you want to take the pressure off? You want to be like, you don't have to worry about it so much? You know what? Yes, your words are talking while you're bringing the scriptures but God is at work taking that whole process and making it effective before you. It's coming through the power of the Holy Scriptures. The, um, Marlon mentioned, because uh, I do, I, I do like to talk. Sometimes I have to be like, you know, don't talk so much, Nathan. <laughs> Sometimes people tell me that. Sarah on the way home from church. But I wasn't always that way. I told you in the fourth grade, I was like, I want to be a preacher like my dad. But I had the biggest stage fright ever. 
And one of my first opportunities, I think I was in 10th grade, I had the opportunity to, uh, to give a public speech. We were in history class, and I was like Abraham Lincoln, four score and 20 years ago. But I had to give like a, we, we were doing mock campaigns, so I had to give my campaign speech for this, uh, the election that happened way back in the day, you know. So I was one of the presidents, I forget which one it was, but uh, I had my notes and I had to go up in front of the podium. And our history teacher had the wonderful torture method of saying, you know what, we're going to do this in the audiovisual room so we can record it on video. I think they had video back in the day. It was brand new. So I was like, fine. I was sitting there with my notes, and it was a podium just like this. And this guy, this guy was, was right there. And I, was, I, I got to shaking a little bit. And so I grabbed a hold of the... Uh, the thing, what do you call this? The, by the way, Marlon, I like the bigger one <laughs> that I can hide behind just a little better. This gives me traumatic thoughts of my youth. <laughs> I grabbed a hold of the podium and I started to shake it and, and then the podium started to shake and it shook so much that it started hitting the microphone stand. So the next day, when we all got to watch our old video, I got to experience that twice. <laughs> and I thought to myself, there is no way, no way on God's green earth that I want to be a preacher like my dad anymore. <laughs> but God worked in my life, um, and, and he continues to do so. Uh, but turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. You know, we studied about the Apostle Paul and uh, his early years with the gospel. And, um, you know, you would think that the Apostle Paul was this marvelous orator who didn't shake, didn't hit the microphone stand. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 um, says, And when I came to you, the Apostle Paul speaking, brethren, I did not come to you with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. <clears throat> Paul probably did not have the radio voice. And the, the presence and like, ooh, I just heard Paul speak. That was so good. Not, not because of, it wasn't his voice and his tenure. It was his message. Verse 2, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified... I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of what? That comforts me. It really does. Like, the Holy Spirit is going to help you out as you obey God and Use your words to tell someone about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The gospel comes through your words, but it also comes through the Holy Spirit, through also in the power of the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. That part about full conviction, we could go, I, I don't want to take too much more time on the power, but Acts chapter 1 verse 8 talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Luke 
is the account where, where Jesus is telling the, uh, the apostles, like, you know, hey, you're going to go out and, uh, and teach my word, make disciples. But then he says, but wait, after I'm gone, wait and tarry in the upper room till the Holy Spirit comes. Because the Holy Spirit would give you the power and the boldness. Um, so it's not the superiority of speech. The other part of it is in much assurance. It's the Holy Spirit that works in our lives, that cries out to us, gives us that assurance that we can cry, Abba, Father. Like, God is, is right here. And as, as scary as it might be to, to stand and teach someone or to sit even scarier in someone's living room and share with them the gospel of Christ because it's so important. The Holy Spirit is working in you and it gives you power and it gives you much assurance. This wasn't, so if you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul doesn't say, for the gospel did not come to you in word. He uses a different adjective instead of the. Did you guys notice that in Acts chapter or in 1 Thessalonians 1.5? He doesn't say, for the gospel did not come unto you in word only. He says what? Our gospel. Paul, the, like Paul owned the gospel. He, he, the gospel had made a difference in his life. The gospel has brought, had brought him to a saving knowledge and a relationship with Jesus Christ. So he had that full assurance as he's sharing given to him by the Holy Spirit, giving him power, giving him assurance. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, for this, Paul says, For this reason I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded, convinced, that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day. He had the full assurance of God in his life who had transformed him and given him the power to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. So you have power, folks, to bring the gospel. Now we get back to that, that third piece, and this is uh, really one of the main reasons as I think about this passage that I thought was important to share with you this morning. Um, I think all of it's important. But this is specifically so, especially given the many Sundays we've spent looking at our vision. The third way in which is mentioned here is how the gospel comes to people is through a pattern of sanctified lives. A pattern of sanctified lives. We've been talking about sanctification, which is uh, the process of us becoming more and more like Christ. Uh, in Sunday school, uh, we talked, our, our, our quarter was on sanctification, and I affectionately uh, called it growing in godliness. It's that process by which day by day, you keep getting farther and farther away from sin, and you grow closer and closer to the image of Christ as God practically continues to uh, make you Christ-like that transformation process which positionally happens at the moment of salvation and practically continues moment by moment after that. But the Apostle Paul said, For our gospel did not come unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And then he says this, Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. 
Why does he throw that in there? Because that's the third way in which God uses you and I in this whole process of bringing the gospel to our family, to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our community, our state, our country, our world, as you go to Panama. Um, people are going to watch Carol sweating and cooking things over a stove, washing dishes. They might even have you clean a toilet or two, maybe not like right at the same time. <laughs> but they're going to watch how you do those things. Like, the, 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 do you have the, the joy of the Spirit in your life? And like, I'm serving Jesus. And that process is part of how God is bringing the gospel to those kids at that camp. It really does make a difference. Transform lives, fully devoted followers of Christ. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. Does it really make a difference what we do every day? And is, is that really something that God uses to actually bring people to salvation? To give them a new place and forgiveness of sins? And, you know the wonderful process of becoming a believer. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Oh, you're doing things that are good. Someone might, you know, someone might not like that. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. Verse 15, but what? Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you and gives you account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. But Nathan, no one ever asks me, about the hope that is in me. Like I don't think any of my friends even know I'm a Christian. That's a day by day process of correcting. I guarantee you as you are sanctifying God in your heart. As you are transformed and working to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. People can't help but notice. And whether or not they, they scare you and be like, John, I notice you're, you're weird. Can you tell me why? And then John's like, oh, no, I actually did it. And they can tell that I'm a Christian. Now I'm going to have to go through all the scary of like telling them, well, one, hopefully you've prepared yourself and gotten a few things. You know, you have your little list in your wallet of like, I want to go through these verses. And two, you remember God's Holy Spirit is with me right now for this moment. But that process of sanctification, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, makes a huge difference. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech be always with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you ought to respond to each person. You know, I work with construction people. 
And, uh, and I don't even think twice because I'm a little bit like, la, la, la. <laughs> I am. I'm just like, you know, I just work with construction people. And sometimes construction people can be a little rough around the edges. But I worked with this group of uh, union guys. Not that union guys should be any rougher than other people. But they were construction union guys. And um, I came on site and I worked with them for a day, for two or three days actually. And towards the end of that, or maybe it wasn't, it was even the next year when I worked with the same group. Their leader was like, Nathan, are you like, are you like, a, like a pastor or something? And I'm like, because like, I just noticed that you do things differently. And, uh, and then... They didn't speak, probably, like, I didn't know any difference because they just changed their way they spoke when I was around. But uh, they didn't speak like the way they usually spoke when I was around because they were like, well, Nathan maybe doesn't appreciate that because we don't hear him saying those kind of things. But they noticed that there was a difference. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 through 15, I'll just read that for us this morning. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, I, I, I look at it like this. Does, does your behavior, does your sanctification, does your following of Jesus Christ on a day-to-day -day basis becoming more Christ-like by the grace of God and his power in your life make a difference in the gospel? Well, here it is. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Did you get that? Your walk talks and your talk talks. But your walk, what you do every day, talks a lot louder than your talk talks. So I would ask you, does this whole process of our vision being transformed, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, does that make a difference in our kids coming to know the Lord? Does that make a difference in the possibility of our coworkers coming to know the Lord? Or our neighbor coming to know the Lord, or whoever else it might be. And it's in black and white in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Yes, it does, because God uses the, uh, the what? There's three things. They start with, um, they start with the same letter, the, the proclamation of the saints, so our speaking, the power of the Holy Spirit, and a pattern of sanctified lives. And let me tell you, the pattern of sanctified lives that I have witnessed among you all here, my brothers and sisters. How long have we been coming to this church, honey? I think uh, 24-ish years. I can look around and, and I can tell you, you all have had an influence on me and my growth in the Lord. You have from the time that some of you were little and now you're big and from the time that some of you were older and now you're older. <laughs> you really have influenced me as my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that that is one of the things that is keeping our light shining bright for the Evangelical Free Church of Embarrass for our community, our country, our state, our world as well. Now the poem. You ready? 
This was a song. Sarah and I looked it up. It was by the Imperials. That sounds like a real 80s name. Came out in 1983. And it's, you're the only Jesus. And here's the, uh, this is the part I remember about it. It's not only a poem, it's a song. I'll sing it to you. You're the only Jesus some may ever see. You're the only words of life some may ever read. So let them see in you the one in whom is all they'll ever need. Because you're the only Jesus some will ever see. And that is true. Some people may not ever crack this wonderful book open. But they're going to see it lived out in your life. You may be the only Jesus that some will ever see. And that's why Pastor decided to add this long series about what does that mean, being fully transformed followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Um, Lord, I thank you for your word, which is such an impactful, live, living thing in our life. Lord, we just think about the way that you have used your word and your spirit has used those words in our lives. The examples of others, as we look back on our testimony and we see how you brought the gospel to us, Lord, we thank you. Lord, if there are those here that don't know you or haven't seen how the gospel has come to them at this point, Lord, we're a church that would like to be able to bring that message to you. Lord, we just thank you for the way in which you work in our lives. Continue to give us the grace each day to be more and more like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This song is going to double as your closing song and the special music, and I maybe would have picked something different if I'd known what the message was actually going to be today, but, you know. Um, but God knew, right? Sarah reminded me, it doesn't matter. But <laughs> God knew what was going to be spoken today and that Lawrence was not going to be here. And, um, so hopefully it will still be a, a blessing. Um, I just wanted to say, I don't usually do this, but I received a text at the beginning of the service um, from Carol Kennedy, and she was on her way to the hospital. She has a raging infection in the, in the cut in her knee. She had fallen, some of you know that. Anyhow, she asked for prayer, and I don't know that she asked all of us for prayer. She asked me for prayer, but if you would be praying for her, please. Um, that's scary when you're in your 80s, and she's been fighting this for a while already. So anyhow, just want to throw that out there since I just found it out. Yes, I was naughty and looked at the text that came through during the text. Feel free to sing along. You guys will probably know this one. I try to hold on to this world with everything I have. I feel the weight.